How are we doing, church? Just want to welcome you all. I want to thank you so much for joining us online today. Hey, let us know you're here. Let us know you're connecting with us. Give us a hi, a hello, a what's up, or something here in the chat, and the comments. Uh, just let us know that you're here. Thank you, thank you, thank you um, for choosing to worship with Central today. If you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be today. Um, we really haven't been in a series since before the quarantine. Um, here at Central, we like to preach in serieses, if that's a word, serieses. Um, we like to preach in serieses. Um, and so before the, since before then, we haven't really done one. We finished up a spiritual warfare series, and then we kind of dove into to this. And we've been preaching a bunch of one-and-done type messages. But as I've looked back over them, they really have had a theme. And, and that theme is, how do we become overcomers? Like, how in difficult times do we overcome. And, and over the last few weeks, we've been reminded that sometimes we get put in situations where we get overwhelmed, but Jesus didn't come so that we would be overwhelmed. He came so that we could overcome. And one of the questions that has happened as I've been preaching about doubt and uncertainty and insecurity and stress and anxiety and, and, and overcoming all those things, one of the, one of the overall themes that have kind of kind of emerged from all of that is how do I trust God? Like I get doubt and uncertainty and I get all of those things, but, but how in these uncertain times, pastor, do we, do we trust God? And, and that's a legit question because that's something that all of us have wrestled with from time to time. And, and, I, and I think one of the lies that the enemy constantly throws at us is, is you can't completely trust God. You can't completely trust God with everything. I mean, how are you going to trust God with everything? I mean, come on. And, and that's, that's an easy lie to buy into, right? Because let's be honest, it's hard to trust in uncertain times, right? And so again, a, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on doubt. And, and, and what I heard back was, it's really not as much a doubt thing, pastor, as it is a trust thing. Like I have a hard time trusting God with everything. And there are some people watching today that when it comes to God, when, when I say we should live lives where we fully trust God with everything, you go, oh, hold on, whoa, 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 just, just wait a minute, man. I, I got a problem with that. Because if, if we're honest, and, and I'm, I'm just talking like even though this is online, this is church, okay? Even though we're watching from computers or we're watching on the TV, th this, is, this is church. And so when we're in church, we're honest. So let's be honest. Most of us don't have a problem trusting God with some things, right? I mean, like, okay, 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 God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with eternity. God, the whole heaven, hell thing, cool, man. I got that. I trust you with that. I trust God that when I pray to receive Jesus, I, I trust you for salvation. I've got that. I think we're there. I think we're cool, God. That's awesome. It's easy to trust God with that. It's easy to trust God with some things. But there are other things that we have a very, very, very difficult time trusting God with. For example, moms. You have a hard time trusting God with your kids, right? Come on, this is church, be honest. You have a hard time trusting God with your kids. Dads, dads are, are vaguely aware of little people running around in the house. But moms, man, you have a hard time trusting God with your kids. Men, you have a hard time trusting God with money, right? You feel the tension there? You, you feel that? have a hard time trusting God with money. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not staying there. I'm just saying, you have a hard time trusting God with money. Single people, you have a hard time trusting God with your dating life, right? It's, it's tough, isn't it? 
Married people have a hard time trusting God with their marriage at times. We have a hard time trusting God with all kinds of things. And we could spend all day long making a list of all the things and all the areas where it's difficult to trust him. Here's the thing that I'm learning in life, and I hope that we're learning as a church. God doesn't want us to just trust him with some things. He wants complete surrender out of us. He wants us to trust him with everything. He doesn't want us to give um, he doesn't want us to give him bits and pieces of our life. He wants us to give him our lives completely. And listen, until we completely trust him, our lives will never be complete. If you're feeling incomplete in your life, I would be willing to bet that there's a section of your life where you have decided, hmm, hands off. I'm not gonna trust you, God, in this area. Right here, like other things, God, we're cool. But right here, Nah, you can't have that. I'm, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't trust you with that. I'm, I'm telling you, if you're feeling incomplete in your life, it's because there's a section of your life where you have told God, in this thing right here, I am not gonna trust you. And, and, and let me tell you, it's difficult to trust God. I'm not saying it's easy sometimes. I, I wrestle with this as much as anybody watching this right now. And so what I wanna do is, is I want to take today and I want to basically attack the two reasons that I believe that we have a hard time trusting God and kind of walk through that. The first one, number one, is the speed of our lives. I believe the first reason we have a hard time trusting God is because of the speed of our lives. Uh, again, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to start. Let me kind of set up, let me kind of give you a summary of what's happening in Luke 24. I love Luke 24, it's awesome. Um, Jesus Christ has established this ministry um, on earth, established his ministry when he was 30 years old. All right, he's got it going strong for three years. So from the time he's 30 to 33, I mean, it is just rocking. He had thousands of people following him. He had achieved what we would probably say is rock star status, if you will. So much so that there are several occasions in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read through those, there are several occasions where he would go into a town and he's trying to hide from the crowd. He's trying to sneak away from the crowds. It's intense. And people thought, man, he is awesome. And he is going to be a political leader for us one day. A political leader. We'll get into that one towards the end. He gets into Jerusalem, and, and it, is, it is awesome, man. He's got people throwing down palm branches. He's riding on a donkey. They're shouting Hosanna. Things are looking great, but they go really bad really fast. In fact, he gets turned over to the religious leaders. The religious leaders make up these false charges against him. They put him on this sort of mock trial. He's eventually turned over to the Romans. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's crucified. He's murdered. And then he's put into a grave. And the story's over, right? Wrong. Because we have Easter. We have the resurrection. And that's awesome. And Luke chapter 24, the, the first several verses, the Bible talks about very early in the morning, a, a couple of the women went to the tomb. And when they get there, the stone is rolled away. And, and there's some angels there. And the angels say, he is not here. He is risen. Go tell the boys, right? And so, so the women run and they find the disciples and they go in and they tell them what the angel had said. They said, the angel said, hey, he is not here. He is risen. They're like, you lost your dang mind. Like, there's, there's no way that he's not there. And so they look at Peter and they say, hey, Peter, go check it out. And so Peter gets up and, and, and in Luke, the Bible says that, that Peter gets up and he runs and he looks in and, and there's no Jesus in the tomb. And he's like, huh. And he goes back and he tells everybody and they don't believe. Now, keep this in mind. When we think of the disciples, we typically think of 12 guys. Um, at this point, there, there's 11 because Judas had, had hung himself. And so there's 11 guys. 
Um, but actually, there were more than 11 or 12 people that were around Jesus all the time. There's a couple of occasions in the scripture where the Bible seems to indicate that he had around 70 people around him all the time. So he had 70 people, then he had 12 disciples, and then he had three who were very close to him. There are some scholars that believe that that number isn't 70, that that number was um, as high as 120 people around him on a consistent basis. And so when the women went back and told the disciples, it most likely wasn't just 11. It was most likely a group larger than 11. And so they tell them Jesus is alive, and this is where we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. The Bible says, now that same day, now let's stop. Same day means the same day as the resurrection. Same day that they heard that the resurrection had taken place. That's huge. The same day, two of Jesus' followers, all right, followers, meaning the people who had hung out with Jesus, possibly for three years, followers who had quite possibly heard everything that Jesus had ever taught, followers who had seen the miracles, followers who had experienced Jesus on a level that none of us have ever experienced. These are the people that should have known him the best. Two of Jesus' followers, two of them, all right? Huge. Two of them on the same day as the resurrection. Watch this. Don't miss this. We're walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Two disciples, two followers, walking to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. Now, now stay with me. This, this is huge, but this is so cool. Where did the resurrection take place? Jerusalem, right? Where did the ladies hear the angels say, he is not here, he is risen? Jerusalem, right? Jesus and his ministry and the activity was in and around Jerusalem. But here we see two of his disciples, two of his followers, walking away from the presence of Jesus, and they're on a journey to Emmaus. Now, Emmaus, in our translation that we're using this morning, says seven miles. In other translations, it says 17 miles. I'm not going to argue which one is correct or throw up a map and try to say this one was this or this is that, and this is where they think Emmaus. Either way, to me, that's a bunch of miles. I'm not walking or running either one of those. I'm just seven miles, 17 miles, doesn't matter to me. It's a lot of miles. So there's a multiple mile journey that those dudes are on. Let's just, let's just agree with that. And these two followers, these two disciples who knew Jesus, who loved Jesus, who had actually believed Jesus, are now walking away from Jesus. See, everybody, if we're not careful, we can drift away. There, there are people watching right now that if you're honest, there was a time in your life where you were closer to Jesus than you are right now. And you didn't intend on drifting, but you drifted. And, and you know how I know you've drifted? Because I've drifted. I, we, we've all drifted. If we're not careful, we'll drift away. And, and drifting is when we know information about Jesus, but we have no intimacy with Jesus. See, these guys, don't, don't miss this. They knew information about the resurrection, but they had no intimacy with Jesus. Because had they been connected with him, they would have been in Jerusalem trying to find him and worshiping at his feet. But, but here we see people who, who were good people walking away from Jesus because they weren't sure that they could believe and they could trust anymore. It goes on to say this. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. So don't, don't miss this. You can have conversations about Jesus while you're walking away from Jesus. 
Just because we have godly conversations does not mean we have godly connection to Jesus. We can walk away from Jesus. We can talk about Jesus while we walk away from Jesus. Don't, don't miss that. We can talk about Jesus while we walk away from Jesus. That's, that's what these guys are doing. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. Anytime we drift away, he comes after us. He pursues us. And he doesn't come after us to get us back. Like, like I've, I've heard preachers say that. Jesus is coming to get you back, to get even with you. He's not coming after to get us back or get even with us. He comes after us to bring us back into fellowship with him. See, see God, he, he's not full of just wrath and anger. He is full of truth, yes. But he's also full of grace. And, and when we drift away from God, l- listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I'll tell you, again, at times, I, I've drifted. But every time I've drifted away from Jesus, he's come back after me. Every time I have walked away, he has pursued me. Every time I feel like giving up, he's brought me back in because that's the Jesus that we serve. Watch this. Watch it in this text. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. I love that. How cool is that? They're having a conversation about Jesus, and he shows up. You ever been in a situation, you've been somewhere, and you're talking to somebody about somebody, and then that somebody shows up? (laughs) That's really weird and awkward. What you got talking about? Nothing, right? (laughs) I'm imagining that's what that's like right here. Because they're talking about Jesus, and then bam, there he is. Here's the other thing. Don't miss this. We can get so busy talking about Jesus that we don't recognize him when he shows up. Because watch this. Don't, don't miss this. Verse 16. But God kept them from recognizing him. So, so Jesus, the man they had walked with for possibly three years, they've listened to him. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen all this stuff. He comes up and he walks with them, but they don't recognize him. Now, people have argued this and speculated about this for years as to why. I think it's really simple. I think there are two reasons why they didn't recognize Jesus. I think the first reason is because they weren't expecting to see him. He was dead, right? I mean, dude's dead. Even though they had heard that he was alive, they didn't believe the miracle. Come on, would you? Seriously, would you believe that? They didn't believe that it was possible. And one of the things that I have learned, and I've tried to teach you over and over and over again, is that where there is no expectation there is seldom any revelation. Where there's no expectation, there is seldom any revelation. I believe one of the reasons that we don't see God as much as we would like to see God move is because we're not expecting God to do what he said he would do in his word. Where there's no expectation, there is seldom any revelation. If we're not expecting God to do big things, come on, church, we don't expect God to do big things. Is God going to do big things? The second reason that they didn't recognize Jesus was the speed of their lives. I I don't think they could recognize Jesus because in their minds, they were on a journey. We have to get from point A to point B, and and Jesus was merely an interruption from where they needed to go. Seriously, he just interrupted their lifestyle. Now, there are people watching, probably most people watching. If I were to sit down with you and I were to have a cup of coffee with you and ask you how you're doing, one of the words that you would use to describe yourself is the word busy. You're busy, even in the midst of a quarantine, busy. 
And, and the problem with busyness is when things calm down, when you have idle time, you don't know what to do. And so you begin to fill it up with your own desires. And when we fill things up with our own desires, it is quick and easy for us to begin to drift away. Most everyone that I have talked to over the past several weeks has, has said this. I don't know, like my biggest struggle over the past several weeks, and my biggest struggle is, is to figure out what to do with all this extra time I have. <laughs> our lives have been so busy that when we got interrupted, we didn't even really know how to function, right? And, and here's the thing that hit me. Most of us, most of us, and I'm, I'm not just calling you out on this. I'm, I'm saying me too. Most of us were so busy that we had a hard time stopping daily and recognizing Jesus. And, and I believe, this is what I believe with all my heart, I don't believe the devil necessarily wants to make us bad. I don't. I, I believe the devil wants to keep us busy. Because if he can make you busy, he can change your focus, and he can stop you from walking with and recognizing Jesus. If he did it with two of his disciples, two of his close followers, he can do it with us. And so, listen, when life picks back up, keep time for Jesus. Keep time for Jesus. I've had people go, oh my gosh, my schedule is killing me. Here's a news flash. And for some of you, this is going to be the greatest news you've ever heard. You control your schedule. You do. Your schedule is not supposed to control you. You have say over what does and does not go into your schedule on a daily basis. D did you know that the commandment to take a day off and rest is, is not one of the ten suggestions? It's one of the ten commandments. D do you know that the, the commandment to rest is the one that took God the longest amount of time to explain? There's verse after verse after verse on resting. You know why? Because God knows if we're always in a hurry, we can't have any intimacy with him. And where there is no intimacy in our life, there is no beauty in our life. And where there is no beauty in our life, we can't recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's why some of us need to slow down the speed of our lives if we really want to see Jesus. Number two is where we place our expectations. The speed of our life because we're so busy and where we place our expectations. Have you ever been disappointed in something or someone? I'm not going to ask for hands or amens or yeses or noes because we're all human and the answer is yes. You've had your hope set on someone. You've had your hope set on something and it lets you down. All of us, if we had time, could tell stories of someone or something who has let us down. We've all had that. Well, that's why some people don't trust God because you thought he was going to do one thing, he didn't do it. We took our preferences of what we wanted to the table with us, and in our mind, we, we turned our preferences into his promises, and he never promised to do what we preferred, ever. I, I, I've had people say, I can't trust God. Why not? Because he let my mama die. That's legit. Can't trust God. Why not? Let my daddy die. I understand that. Can't trust God. Why? Because I'm not married, and I thought I'd be married by now. Married couples say, can't trust God because I thought we'd have kids by now. God hasn't given us any kids, so we can't trust him. I can't trust God. Why not? Because he let my kid get sick. Can't trust God because he didn't let me get the promotion. Can't trust God because of the virus. Can't trust God because he ultimately did not do for me what I hoped that he would do. We've all been there, every one of us. Hey, the guys in this story, 
They were there. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And I believe right here, Jesus, he's just got a smile on his face. I believe he starts this conversation with him like, hey, guys, <laughs> what you talking about? Verse 18. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Now, now watch this. Jesus, man, he is just so awesome. Watch this. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, and I believe Jesus leaned in just a little bit more, and he got a little bit bigger smile. Because see, here's what happens when we don't walk in intimacy with Jesus. When we have information, but we don't walk in intimacy, we find ourselves lecturing Jesus about who he is. That, that's what they're doing in this story. They're telling Jesus about Jesus. Do, do you see that? Look again. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Not he is a prophet. Right? That's huge. Now it's, we're not sure. Not, not, really, not really sure we can trust. Not really sure we can believe anymore. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Watch this. But we had hoped. Those, those four words are huge. Huge. If, if you've got a Bible open at home, circle that. Underline that. If you've got a notepad out, write those four words down. But we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This is what we, they're saying right here. We had high hopes for him. We had some preferences, but he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't treat our preferences the way that we wanted them treated. He turned our preferences into, 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 into something that we didn't even want, man. We wanted our preferences to be his promises, and he didn't fulfill what we perceived to be his promises, which really weren't actually his promises. They were our preferences, but he didn't do them. And so we're upset and we're sad because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. See, Israel at this time was occupied by Rome. Now, we can't, as Americans, like, we, we can't identify with this one. We can't. We have never been occupied by a foreign country. We have never had enemy soldiers walking up and down the street telling us what we can and can't do and where we can and can't go. But these guys, they knew what it was like to be occupied by a foreign army. But they also knew that the Old Testament had what we call messianic prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah. In fact, there were about 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament that said the Messiah was coming. They knew that one day a Messiah was coming. And the prophets in the Old Testament said things like he would heal blind people. He would make lame people walk. He would set people free from prison. He would do all of these things. But they misinterpreted the Old Testament. And the people in that time period thought that there was going to be a political Messiah that was going to come one day and set them free from Rome and oppression. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, make no mistake about it, most of the people that followed Jesus, the first three years of his ministry had no idea who he was. They thought he was a political Messiah. That's what they thought. They thought he was going to be their political Messiah. That's why, listen, when James and John came to him, they were like, hey, man, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit on your right hand and the other sit on your left hand? Like They weren't talking about a heavenly kingdom. They were talking about a political kingdom. That's why Judas got so ticked off and betrayed Jesus. 
because he thought he could force Jesus' hand to become the political Messiah that he wanted him to be. They thought that Jesus was going to set them free politically. But can we argue today that because Jesus loved them, was always with them, that he had greater plans for them than they had for themselves? Can we agree to that? See, they wanted to be set free temporarily from Rome. Jesus wanted to set them free eternally from hell. They wanted to be set free from the kingdom of Caesar. Jesus wanted them to be set free from the kingdom of Satan. They wanted to be set free from fear of Roman soldiers. And Jesus wanted them to be set free from fear of death and hell and the grave. Jesus loved them, was always with them, and had greater plans for them than they had for themselves. And so we can look back at this on this side and say, hey, what are y'all talking about? You had hoped he would do this? Don't you realize he had better plans for you all along? Don't we realize, come on now, don't we realize that when things don't go our way, it's because they're going his way, because he loves us, because he's always with us, and he has greater plans for us than we have for ourselves. And wouldn't it be just a little bit hypocritical for us today if if we looked at this text and we said, you should have trusted him. What's wrong with you guys? How how could you not trust him? Think about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says, for God works All things, all things for those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. You know what I get from that verse? I get that you can trust Jesus because he he might not do what you want him to do, what you hoped he would do, but the reason he did not do what you hoped him to do is because your hopes are so insignificantly small compared to the plans that he wanted to do in your life. Once this season is over, church, God has greater plans for us than we could ever have for ourselves, right? So it goes on to say this, verse 21. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers read his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. Like, this is crazy. Like, they came with an amazing report. Don't miss this. And these guys are still walking away. They've still left. This is where we get like, hey, they should be looking for him, right? He had taught. He had said in three days, I'm coming back. He came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who had told them, Jesus is alive. But, dude, you're still walking away. Where are you going? He's alive. He's able to change the situation. Like he conquered death. He's alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. They they couldn't even see or believe in the resurrected Jesus because of the speed of life and because of where they placed their expectations. Don't miss that. Because of what they expected Jesus to do. And Jesus didn't move the way they thought Jesus should move. But Jesus, because he wants to bring us back, not get us back, watch what he does. This is so awesome. Verse 25. He obviously has never read the book, How to Win Friends, Influence People. Look at this. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. See that? You stinking idiots. That's what he's saying right there. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? And verse 27 Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Don't miss this. You've got, let's say, a a three and a half to a four hour walk, 
I, I don't know how long it takes to walk that far. I've never walked that far. So let's just say it, it's four hours, all right? So for four hours, somewhere, I believe, toward the beginning of this walk, Jesus meets them. And for four hours, for four hours, Jesus does nothing but teach them the Bible, beginning with Moses, the, 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 the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Law of the Prophets. He walks them all the way through them. For four hours, what does he do? He brought people walking away from him back into his word. Don't miss this. Staying grounded in God's word will just about assure we never walk away from him. Staying grounded in God's word will just about assure that we never walk away from him. Because listen, 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 listen. Ten minutes a day with Jesus, ten minutes a day, every day in his word will change the rest of your life. I guarantee it. Because we'll never trust somebody that we don't know and we'll never know someone that we don't spend any time with. And God said, I will meet you in my word every day. That's why we challenge you all the time here at Central. Read your Bible, do what it says. That's why we have daily Bible reading and devotion. You can sign up by emailing us, info at yourcentralchurch.com. We send it out every single day to help you get to the next level in your relationship with Jesus. I, I know it's tough to figure out where to start, but let us help you. Let us help you. And then read your Bible every day. Read your Bible and do what it says. Read your Bible every day. I'll guarantee because that, that's where Jesus took the two people that were walking away from him. He, he was like, hey, guys, just meet in my word. I guarantee you, Jesus will meet you in his word. Because something really unique happens here in verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. The practical joker Jesus. Uh, I don't know, sorry. Jesus acted as they were going on, but they begged him. Stay the night with us since it is getting late. This is an invitation. Don't miss this. An invitation of relationship. So he went home with them. This, this invitation to, to relationship, this invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to intimacy because they're about to share a meal together. Now, we don't, we don't know anything in our culture about sharing meals and intimacy because we have drive throughs right? We blow through. We eat half of our food before we even get home. How many of you, when you go to Arby's and you get some fries, don't even make it out of the drive-thru before you eat that first fry? Come on, raise your hand, put a yes, put a me, put a, uh, a little embarrassed sign or something in the chat. I don't Like, seriously, I don't even make it out, and I got like two fries in my mouth, like all the time, right? Because we're in a hurry. And if we go into a restaurant, don't even get me started here. We go into a restaurant, and they haven't waited on me in five minutes, I get up and I walk out. Because I don't have time for intimacy with anybody because I'm busy. I'm here to get my food, and I want my food, and I want my food now, and I want to get in, and I want to get out. See, it wasn't that way in the Jewish culture. A meal could take up to two to three hours. They sat at a table, and they reclined at the table. So the Bible says in verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread, and he blessed it. Then he broke it, and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Now, I want to offer some suggestions to you as to what this verse means. Maybe Jesus, as he's, as he's walking on the road to Emmaus, he went over the prophecies in Isaiah that said, but he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Maybe he went to the book of Zechariah, 
where it says, they will look on me, the one that they have pierced. Don't forget that word, pierced. And so they sit down with Jesus, and they have a meal. And and I want to read these verses again. I want to show you something here that, that I think is huge. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread. Picture this. Hey, picture this whole scene. They sat down to eat. He took the bread, and he blessed it. Then he broke it, and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And in that moment, he disappeared. They slowed down the speed of their lives for about four hours. And through Scripture, Jesus got them to a place in their lives where they understood that their lives were supposed to be built on his promises, not their preferences. And Jesus, don't don't miss this, Jesus reaches out to grab the bread. He pulls it in. And and I think when he broke it, I, I think they recognized in that moment the nail scars in his hands. I think in that moment when he grabbed that bread and when he broke the bread, I think Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I I believe Zechariah, they will look upon the one that they have pierced. I believe they slowed down long enough that they began to understand who he was and they were able to see when he broke the bread, the nail holes in his hands and they recognized Jesus and in that moment they said, we can fully trust him. The Bible goes on to say this in in verse 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Because see, here's the deal. We can't see Jesus and remain passive and indifferent. When we see him for who he is, it always causes some sort of reaction within us. And the next verse says, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. So they backtracked all those miles. Don't miss that. That's just gigantic. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road. Watch this. And how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. When he broke the bread, and they saw the nail holes in his hands. When we see him clearly, we will follow him closely. And the reason that a lot of us have a hard time trusting him is because we have a hard time sometimes seeing him. So today, my my prayer is that if, number one, if if you're a drifter, that this message would be an encouragement to you of an understanding that Jesus is pursuing you, not to get you back, not to get even with you, but to bring you back into fellowship with him, bring you back into relationship with with, with him, bring you into a point of intimacy, once again, he doesn't want us to just walk with information about him. He, he wants us to have intimacy with him. And number two, we should all start to trust him with everything as we see who he really is. We need to trust him because we can completely trust him with everything as we see who he really is and what he's doing in and through our lives. Let's pray. Right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. God, we're we so thankful that you are faithful to meet us here. God, you are so awesome and holy and magnificent. And Father, I pray right now for every person watching, God, that you would move our hearts towards obedience with you. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, thank you for slowing down the speed of our lives. 
over the past several weeks and getting us to a place in our lives where we understand that we are many times, that, that, that we try to, to force our preferences on you and make them your promises. I got my prayer today is that we would see you in a way we've never seen you before, understanding that our hope and our salvation and our life and our trust is in Jesus Christ alone. And we would stop trusting you with some things and we would start trusting you with everything. God, we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church, and I hope to see you soon.